0: Hello everyone! Welcome back to the Constructional Approach to Animal Welfare and Training Podcast. We are your host. I am Masa.
1: Hi everybody, and I am Sean.
0: We hope that you are cuddled up with your animal companions and ready for this exciting episode. We have some exciting news for you today. We are thrilled to announce that the Interaction Guidelines poster is available on our website! Yay! We were fortunate enough to be able to collaborate with Lily Chen from Doggy Drawings to create this poster. This poster is free to download, share, print, and distribute, but please do not edit the poster. You can download the poster by going to our website caawt.com and go to the Resources and Project tab and click on Interaction Guidelines poster. We will also put the link in the description below. So please enjoy the poster and let us know your experience implementing interaction guidelines with your dogs! Second good news is that we have been partnering with our local Humane Society and we are planning to do series of live streaming events from the Humane Society so that you all get to know the dogs there and can see some of the training that we do. The first live streaming is for us to practice and work out the technical issues. So it may not be perfect, but it would be fun to have you join us. We will be announcing the day and time of the very first practice session on our social media and website very soon. And last weekend, we set up a couch booth at our local Malabar community market. We baked and gave out pumpkin and peanut butter autumn doggy cookies. We want to thank everyone for coming out and supporting our mission. All of the donations that we receive will directly fund free behavior support and training programs to individuals and organizations who are in need of training and cannot afford it. Lastly, on October 2nd, Sean will be giving a presentation on constructional affection at a webinar hosted by Behavior Vets. There is a discounted ticket for a vet student, vet tech, shelter and rescue. So please join us at this webinar. We will put the link in our description below. In today's episode, we have an extra special guest on the show. You all have heard us talk about this individual many times on the show, and this person co-developed constructional affection and the constructional shelter program. We are very excited to have Chase Owens with us today. Chase earned his undergrad and graduate degrees while studying under Dr. Jesus Rosales Ruiz and is a fellow dinosaur, as Jesus called us, of Orca. If interested in reading an outstanding research paper on constructional affection, please check out the thesis paper we will have attached to our show notes. However, without further delay, here is our guest, Chase Owens.
1: All right, so before we get into our topic, I'd like to take a moment to let the audience get to know you. And um, could you share with everyone a little bit about what got you involved in animal training and how you came into contact with the constructional approach?
2: Sure, sure. So I got interested in animal training, you know, not too early. I got interested in animal training after high school, but before high school, I was always interested in animals. My dad was always good to me and it used to take us to carnivals all the time. And my most memorable experience of going to these carnivals with them was playing tic-tac-toe against a chicken. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, sometimes I would beat the chicken, but the chicken actually beat me most of the times because I didn't know all the good tic-tac-toe strategies yet. I was pretty young. And, um, but it always stuck with me. It wasn't after that. I didn't get super interested in animal training, though, training chickens or anything like that. But, you know, it was after high school and I got my first dog and, you know, I was trying to teach some basic obedience and I wasn't sure where to turn. And I got really into season Milan, mm-hmm. the dog whisperer, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, and, you know, what I really liked about Caesar at that point in time, not, you know, I, I still wasn't sure about all his methods, but I was trying them out. But what I really liked about him at that time is it was obvious that what you did had an impact on a dog's behavior. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And he also showed over and over that the timing was really important mm-hmm. and that there were social aspects of interacting with the dogs. You know, they always talked about talk, touch, and eye contact and, it was really obvious that those things were important to a dog's life you know And so you know at that time I actually was you know doing a lot of Caesar Milan's tactics, which is trying to be more dominant than the dog and what does that really mean? I guess that really means you know trying to correct them whenever they do things that you don't want the dog doing you know And actually I was doing that for years trying to teach my dog Rocky how to walk on a a leash politely on a loose leash without pulling me all over the place. And, you know, had no impact after three years. You know, I really, I necessarily didn't question it all yet, but I was starting. I noticed there was no, no impact. And in fact, when I did it, I was real embarrassed, not only of Rocky pulling me everywhere, but really what I was doing to try to manage it. Mm -hmm. And, um, I was actually going to community college at that time, and I was about to go to UNT out of convenience. And I was looking through the course catalog for something along the lines of animal behavior and animal training and seeing what opportunities were available there. And that's where I came across behavior analysis. Mm -hmm. And, and that was the right thing. So I actually signed up for behavior analysis and it was going there that I actually learned that Bob Bailey Was, you know, an early animal trainer that did a lot of, uh, a lot of animal training. And he actually was the one who did the training of that bird brain, along with Marion Breeland in animal behavior enterprises up there in Little Rock, Arkansas. Yeah. And, yeah. So, you know, and once I was at UNT, I joined ORCA, the organizational for reinforcement contingencies with animals. And, you know, that's where I met Sean. And Jesus, and it was you know perfectly aligned with my mission. The goal of Orca was to improve the lives of animals and their guardians through behavior analytic research, and to inform the public about that research. And Sean and I basically, you know, a lot of what we try to do is just that. Mm. And but you know, as as I stated, up to, until that point, all I knew was Caesar Milan, not anything about. You know, contingency is a reinforcement or shaping or stimulus control or anything like that. And so, you know, in in Orca, that's where I discovered clicker training and Kay Lawrence, Steve White, and Alexander Curlin, and where I was able to get my first experiences, uh, clicker training with Sean. Um, And still at this point in time, I started to hear about the constructional approach, right, because I'm taking... Zeus's classes, behavior intervention programs. I mean, I guess that's the only place we were talking about it was in Orca and in there. And, you know, actually at that point in time, I started coming over to Chantel. Him and I were doing animal training. We were going places, clicker training dogs to politely greet um, greeters when they come, knock on the door, and, you know, I'd be out there knocking at the door and doing all this <laughs> stuff. And, and then... I brought Rocky over to Sean's house a few times. We would hang out. He would listen to him play the guitar. We'd go play darts. And Rocky and his dog Bubba would hang out.
0: Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm.
2: And, you know, Sean and I always had all these toys. Rocky would love to play fetch. He'd, he'd you know, worry about that tennis ball <laughs> all day. And uh, one time he was down there with that tennis ball, and Bubba walked by, and, and Rocky, you know, came at him. Yeah. And, um, and then he kept, you know, that similar pattern increase in frequency, the longer we stayed over there and uh-huh. the more I brought him over. And that's what led us Sean and I to talking about it and saying, you know, we should try constructional aggression treatment with this resource card.
0: Wow. You know, we had
2: already, uh-huh. yeah. So we had already come to, to see the constructional approach a little bit more at that time and to understand, you know, alternative, uh, nonlinear contingency analysis and alternative sets enough to say, you know, this is an alternative of choice and it is consequential and there's something we could do about it. And we started looking at what the contingencies were that was maintaining it. It was obvious when Bubba came close, he was, you know, Guarding or growling at him and jumping at him to get him to go away. And he did it under those conditions when he had the ball. So we knew, you know, under what conditions this occurred. And we knew what we wanted to happen, what a target outcome would be. And we knew the current relevant repertoire and some assets that we had. And so we went ahead and did constructional aggression treatment on it. And before you knew it, Rocky's coming up to Bubba, passing him a tennis ball you know, trying to play with them. And, um, you know, so that was really my introduction to the constructional approach and its power in a nonlinear contingency analysis and the power of it, yeah. you know. And, and so there was no looking back to um, any season law and dominance training at that point. You know, my eyes were open.
0: Wow, that is such a beautiful story. Thank you so much for sharing, Chase. I really, like first time I saw the video of the training that you two did with Baba and uh, Rocky and the other, like you also did program for other dogs to make sure that that behavior generalized to it and it quickly generalized. And then not only like the, you didn't train the dog to tolerate, you train the dog to interact in a friendly manner with the ball. When I first saw that in Orca, when I was like undergrad, I was like, what? What just happened? So that was beautiful.
1: Yeah, that was a a lot of fun to to do. And I remember when Chase and I were doing that training. And, uh, you know, uh, know, we actually have a bar graph that we showed along with the data from, from, you know, that work. And the bar graph showed the total time that we trained Mm. with the different dogs. And I think that first one with Rocky and Bubba. I want to say it like took somewhere around like 47 minutes of total training, somewhere between there and an hour. It was a pretty small amount of time when you think about how long aggression treatments typically, you know, take dogs and and their trainers. But yeah, about 47 minutes to an hour. But then that next dog was Drake. And Drake, I want to say that it went like really fast, like somewhere around like 20 minutes. And then that next dog that we introduced, Lily, it was almost immediate. I think we only had, like, a couple of cat trials in that, se- in that session before Rocky started bringing her the ball and, like, bouncing it and, like, pushing it to her.
2: Mm, and, That's right.
1: and, and that actually caught Chase and I off guard because we, we had set up the whole <laughs> procedure to, to be walking away from Rocky whenever he was, you know, letting the ball go away or looking up or, like, getting playful and, uh, but when he started getting up when we were walking away and bringing us the ball, you'll even see it in the video. Like, we're, we're like hands up, like, <laughs> what the heck do we do now? <laughs> but, uh, he, he approached and started playing with it and like rolling it to him and play bowing. And like the play behavior was just, you know, wow. that, that was pretty, pretty amazing that the shaping process led us that far across the spectrum, you know, from being, you know, guarding of these things, to being okay with the dogs coming close, to eventually bringing them these toys to play together. Right. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. a totally different looking dog, you know.
0: Right, yeah. One story that I like to hear from Sean and also Jesus, uh, Dr. Jesus Rosales Ruiz, was how this idea of using affection as a reinforcer came up. And uh, I would like to hear from your perspective how this using affection as a reinforcer to teach social behaviors.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, I wish I could say that after all this insight of the constructional approach that Sean and I had with Kat and everything else, that we were able to see it and just make an awesome plan and and put it into place and it it worked, but it really didn't happen like that. Yeah. you know, Sean and I were, we were going in the shelters every day at this point in time in the morning, trying to help with the dogs any way we could and taking any opportunity to um, get some training, some quicker training in and, you know, just try to impl- improve our shaping and, and you know, just tr- animal training in general.
1: Yeah.
2: And we were, I was in a kennel, Sean, Sean was right outside the door and I walked in the kennel to do... Some cooker training with his dog just to get it to sit. And the dog was real excited. It was jumping all on me. And the dog goes back to the ground. He puts all four feet, dogs on the, all four feet, all four paws on the ground. I click and I give the dog a treat and it takes it and then it spits it right out of his mouth and starts jumping on me again. Yeah. And I was like <laughs> and I, was, I had to feel I said, What do I do? And so I actually I, I got out of the kennel right there. I said, Did you see that? Said, yeah, I saw that, you know. And I so, you know, it's actually in animal shelters, or at least in Texas, and, you know, it might be different now, but it was required by law to have food available in the kennel at all times.
0: Oh, really?
2: Right. Yep. So these dogs always had food in their kennels. And so actually it was quite miraculous sometimes that we were able to go in there and, and do clicker training the way we were. But so I go back out and I asked Sean, I said, you know, you see that? I said, yeah, a so, well, what are we going to do? You know, what, what, what should you do? He goes, well, it looks like he wanted you to pet him. So, you know, why don't you try to pet him? <laughs> and I was like, okay. And I, I walked back in there and sure enough, I pet the dog instead and you could almost hear him, t- you know, exhale deeply. <sighs> like he got exactly what he wanted. Two seconds later, this dog that wouldn't stop jumping, you know, is sitting on the ground and then it melts and, you know, has its mouth on its back showing you its belly.
1: Wow, and
2: um, you know, it, you know, it happened pretty fast. And at that point in time, we couldn't really deny what we had seen, you know, right before our eyes, you know. Yeah, and so that's what first made us aware that well, it, it really is obvious. It's like you're not telling anybody anything new when you say that for most dogs, affection has been potentiated as a reinforcer. That dogs want some type of interaction. Um, from the caretaker and other people, and they'll work for it. But it it's not really a novel idea. Um, what was novel was, you know, putting it together and using it in a systematic way. Right. And to get there, you know, we put the same lens. We, that's when we put our constructional and, and nonlinear contingency analytic glasses on. And we begin to ask ourselves at that point in time the basic behavioral question, and, you know, that's what behaviors, under what conditions, what we call calm, polite interactions, right? Mm. And so that's when we figured out and we were able to align the contingencies of what you want and what the dog wanted. And we were able to then, you know, make explicit some target outcomes, which are now the target outcomes for constructional affection. Uh, we then walked through the constructional approach and identified current relevant repertoires and. Saw that affection was already, again, um, a reinforcer. The the dog uh, would approach for affection. And sitting and lying down were already in the repertoire. So we were already off and running and getting from wherever you are to the target outcomes of sitting or lying down for affection. Um, Weren't that really tough to map out, right? I mean, (laughs) no matter... You know, this is one gold diamond thing he said all the time, or that, that you read that he said all the oh, time was that, you know, no organism misbehaving all the time. At some right. point in time, there is some approximation to the target behavior that's going to occur. And um, and that was just the case when, when ju- a dog is jumping, right? Yeah. In between jumps, all four, all four paws go back to the ground. And, you know, it, you just remain constructional, develop the procedures out of that. And, you know, the, the target patterns were ones where it was the same; it was maintained by the same consequences and the behaviors. You know, there were less requirements to getting that. And I know that it was very enjoyable for me to be, you know, doing constructional affection rather than, you know, correcting or always having treats. You know, and getting my hands like that, and clicker training, and and I think it was more enjoyable for the dogs too.
0: Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> so i really like that i i really like h- h- what you said <laughs> <laughs> you know like i was really shy when i was in orca so i would not really li- like asking question even though i have questions so it's good to hear from your perspective how how you guys would talk aloud develop this program like they like try with the dogs and then see the change of behavior and how you felt while you're going through this, developing this systematic procedure. So thank you for that. Yeah. I really enjoy the way you describe it and then tying into gold diamond and construction approach and the linear analysis.
2: Yeah. And yeah, you know what? One thing I can't remember is, is the, the conjugate part from the one hand, two hand. Yeah. I don't know if it just made sense or what, Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah
0: yeah and one more thing i want to say so like you too sean and chase has produced really amazing videos on constructionaffection.com and you know we also show it to the conference and webinar when whenever we present at construction affection and all of the dog like nanook beagle melt like you said chase like they really melt to the ground and and the puppy and then try their best to maximize the the uh, affection that they get from you two so it really like the this conjugate is making the dog melt and then simultaneously teaching the dog how to how to ask for and receive it so i like that that analogy of melting
1: yeah and you know for me you know looking back at that time you know, after we had actually systematized, you know, that whole conjug- conjugate part, the one hand and two hand, and I almost feel like, Chase, because I-, I can't recall an actual discussion of you and I laying out that per se, um, but I know we were both doing it, and so I'm almost thinking that, like, just the natural conjugate nature of sharing affection might have led to that, and then, you know, it just became a part of the procedure as we were trying to nail down what it was that we were doing. Um when we realized we were onto something, but um, yeah, yeah, but I, I remember when we had it, and you and I were going through the shelter, and we were doing our best to help the dogs in there. Um, I know there was like a competitive nature that that developed between you and I, and also between the shelter and us, <laughs> and um. I remember at that time, not, not only were you and I, like, trying to get through the shelter and, like, train the most dogs and find the worst behaved ones and get the biggest changes and those kinds of things, but the shelter was trying to identify and set aside, like, the dogs that they thought we were not going to be able to help no matter what. Yeah. And an outcome of that is that, like, almost all of the dogs inside the shelter at this point in time had, like, all gotten contact with constructional affection, and they were all extremely well-behaved for the most part. And, um, you know, thinking about the, you know, coming back to that, you know, the impact that that had on the community, um, you know, when we say that we teach the dogs inside their enclosures to, to sit or lie down to greet people into the enclosure, sometimes it it gives this image of these dogs that have been just like pacified and they're just lying in their, in their enclosures like lumps of you know flesh. But that's yep. really not what the picture is that happens here. Really, it's this <laughs> crazier, more happy situation where, like, you walk up to the doorway and you see the dogs recognize you. Oh, shoot, there's a human over there, and they, like, go run over to their bed and sit there real quick. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. it's almost more of these dogs saying, like, oh, come in, come in, yeah, come check out my bed, yeah. you know, come, come yeah. play. And yeah. and so it's this much more, it's this much different, you know, behavior that gets shaped up because it's actually tied to the presence of the human and not just, you know, this is what you have to do every moment that you're inside the enclosure. And so that that was a really cool thing. And it almost got addicting to me as well when we were going through and getting that kind of change. Like, you almost don't want to leave the shelter. You want to be there every day. You want to get into all of the enclosures. It gets to be... It gets to feel pretty cool when you when you realize you've got that much influence and that that much ability to help get these dogs adopted.
2: It's always twice as hard to get off the couch when you got a when you got a dog laying next to you, loving up <laughs> that's on, right. you know. And uh, so that's de- that's definitely how it was there all the time, and that definitely was reinforcing your efforts, right? Because again, you know, those interactions are what you're after when you got the dog, anyways. You know, you hadn't walked it out yet and maybe said that out loud yeah and so so yeah it is it is powerful for you and uh you you know you we definitely felt it and um yeah and it was is a lot of fun
1: at this point we got into a lengthy discussion about the use of the conjugate reinforcement schedule and the interaction guidelines and so we will rejoin the conversation right here
2: yeah Yeah, I actually, you're right, too, in the fact that we really weren't talking about conjugate affection. It was a concept that I was aware of, but no doubt we we didn't try to interweave it in at the time. What I do think influenced it and guided it was, you know, a little bit of clicker training and immediacy and and Mm -hmm. wanting to create a discrepancy and also wanting to create a consistent discrepancy mm. right and so that's it ended up in into also the hand flash right and um and so but all these things too still there's room to empirically evaluate um, the necessity you know how important of factors um, some of them are right okay. and if constructional affection could be just as affection effective without the two-to-one, you know, flipping it back and forth? What if you flipped it around? Um, you know, what if you stayed one hand the whole time? Or, you know, you did two the whole time, as well as other aspects of it that are still open to, for, you know, more empirical evaluation. But what drove us was just, uh, you know, producing the target target outcomes as airlessly as possible, right? Now, we were always trying to make it as lean as possible, but, you know, we were always recording, and we would go back and look at the video, right? And um, But a lot of what we saw in the video was that we just missed opportunities to reinforce. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, like, oh, we made a mistake, right? You should have done it. You should have done it here. And so, and that's what further allowed you to say, you know, if this, you know, you're just changing the criteria from, you know, if it's jumping, it's all four feet on the ground, if all four feet hit the ground then, you know, pet the dog with one hand. Once you change the criteria again or, or once sitting occurs, and you change the criteria if when if this happens, then do this. So, you know, it developing the procedure wasn't it hard. It's really just developing the eyes at that point in time to, to see the approximations to wherever it was you're going from wherever you were. Mm-hmm. But you um, no
0: Yeah, I, I always I like now, like you you Sean and Chase you're talking, I really enjoy listening as well as like really looking at like wow like this process of problem solving active actively engaging with the dog and developing procedure that's that's good to hear yeah
1: and you know the hand flash i remember when we started using that too and it was immediately following um roxy and uh we we've shown video of roxy in and I, I think we've shown her letter too on you know a bunch of our webinars we've done recently, but um, Roxy was one of the first dogs that actually got the the ironed out procedure where we were settling on that rule of one while all on all on, while all four paws are on the ground, and then two for sitting and lying down. Um, but we were using a clicker still in that one, and so whenever <laughs> she would engage in one of our approximations right before we'd start to pet, we and go down and start petting her. But um, Jesus, I believe, when he was watching that video, he had asked us, you know, why we were using the clicker in that situation. And um, we, we were just thinking that it helped to make the, the discrimination more salient. And that was when the discussion came up of, you know, well, when we're working with them, you know, aren't other things also becoming, you know, part of that condition? And yep. that was when we just decided to try it. We had we had we had already had this conversation with Jesus and we decided to just try it. and We sat our we were actually doing the training at this time in the in the laundry room at the animal shelter. Oh. I remember setting my clicker down on the dryer, and it felt like like leaving like my pair of pants, you know, on the dryer. Like I almost felt naked going into animal training for the first you time. You remember how many clicker.
2: different type of clickers we used to always have and have them out yeah. on our dressers, kind of like they were trophies or something. Yeah, you
1: know, and, oh, wow. yeah, yeah. I had like, the electric ones, the box ones, yeah. wow, the Karen
2: Pryor ones the yeah. orca
1: ones wow. oh, yeah. yeah. the Karen Pryor ones funny enough is, is those are still my favorite when I got to use the clickers I just like the shape I, <laughs> I don't, don't know the way the buttons there but they are loud that's a very loud there's, u- there's, there's utility in yeah. clicker training yep. yeah there absolutely is and um but yeah it, it was our first time to go in without the clickers and I remember I was working with one dog I can't remember who he was and Chase filmed it and then we switched turns and I filmed Chase with a dog not using the clicker and we got really good, really fast results. But the, during that time, we were having the discussion again, like he was just talking, like Chase was talking about, mm-hmm. making it salient. And we decided it wouldn't hurt to go ahead and add in a hand flash. Since we knew that our hands coming to them was part of that cue that they were about to receive that reinforcer, yeah. we decided to just add a little opening and closing of it to make it a little m- more salient. And we found that that was something that, Anecdotally, that we were believing was really effective, especially when we were training the dogs to stay at a spot while we entered and exited the enclosures. Yeah, because that allowed yep. us, like, the cue to deliver that condition reinforcer while we were still away and could come to them and pet them.
0: Yeah. Wow. So yeah. many story in in detail in the eat the procedure. <laughs> in I, actually, I actually forgot
2: about the the clicker training. The the dog with the affection and, and talking to Jesus about that uh, I got to see that video that's actually uh, that's cla- that's classic right there.
1: Yeah. yeah, those that was a lot of fun learning from those dogs. It was pretty pretty crazy that we had that opportunity. But um, yeah, that did exactly what
2: what Jesus used to say. Listen to what the dog's trying to tell you.
0: That's
1: you know? right. that's right. That's that right. and, and I think we were following good Skinner's mantra too, which is when you find something good, you yeah. latch onto it. Drop you drop everything, everything else yep. and you do it. Study it. And well, we, we, even, we even quit our jobs and we were like barely making enough to survive at that time. Really? And, well, we were at the shelter literally every day. That's
0: true. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: We, we, may have been, we may have been struggling, but it felt, it felt really good. It sure did. It sure did. Yeah, because, <laughs> doing all the right things.
0: Be, because I know that at that time the shelter was pretty um five-day policy or three-day or five-day
1: yeah yeah three days after they were basically the dogs had to be held when they were strays for at least three days and then after that point they had basically a three-day minimum window to where they had to they had that much time before they could possibly be put on a euthanasia list
0: right so less than a week Right. And then you guys were going there each kennel at a time and then training these behavior to get adopted. And then the adoption rate went up. So, of course, even though it was maybe struggling financially, but saving the lives of animals, you you too. So I always feel like you guys were, you know, hero going (laughs) to shelter. (laughs) You know, yeah, that's how I feel.
1: That was what we were hoping, you know, was was the outcome, and and it definitely seemed like that because, like coming back to this point about the impact on the community, right? um, You know, there was nothing on a website or a Facebook page asking people to write letters or to tell us, you know, how wonderful you know their situation was with the new dogs. There there wasn't a follow up program either to follow up with the adopters that was you know in place at the time at the shelter, and when it it, it happened quick, like Roxy, like I was actually just saying, was like one of the first dogs that actually got the full procedure. And that dog got adopted. And like two or three days later, we get this letter from the family and a picture of Roxy curled up on the couch with her, with her, one of her humans Mm -hmm. and letter just beautiful talking about how fast and how quickly this dog just melded into their lives and fell right into place. And, you could see it on the couch, the dog just looked as content as could possibly be. <laughs> and then in
0: the letter, uh, the, this person also said that Roxy was good with children. Yeah. That is critical too.
1: Yeah, that was a really, really big big thing that I loved seeing in that letter. But, but the idea is, though, is that, um, you know, it had that big of an impact on the community. Right. You know, these dogs that we were working with were now able to start having this kind of a positive interaction with the humans that were adopting them you know immediately and so that was one of the big things that you know when we got those letters and we got these reports that we knew we were like holy cow this is actually something that is going to help get to that mission of the shelter to get these dogs out get them adopted and in a way that they're going to stay adopted adopted. yep yeah but um you know real quick let's go ahead and and jump into
0: question number two And this marks the end of today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. And we hope you all enjoy part one of our interview with Chase Owens. Make sure to join us next time for the conclusion of our fun and inspiring interview with Chase Owens, where he talks more about the experience of building the procedure for construction affection for dogs in the animal shelters. Please visit our website to download your copy of our Interaction Guidelines poster that will provide a beautiful guide of the procedure we have been talking about today. Before we go, we want to leave you all with one big final announcement. And that is to stay tuned on our social media and website for the official launch of our COV membership. The CALP membership will give you access to a constructional community on Facebook, our bi-weekly open house and CALP lab meetings, which you can learn more about online. In addition to all of that, members can receive 50% off of all group classes and webinars and help choose the topics for those events. Also, look for the link in our description below for Sean's webinar at Behavior Vets on October 2nd. And follow us on Facebook page and Instagram so that you can enjoy all of our fun future events like our first live streaming practice session from our local Humane Society with their dogs. We will see you all there. If you like our show, please subscribe to our podcast or share it with your friends. Feel free to get more information or reach out to us on our website, caawt.com, or our Facebook page, Construction Approach to Animal Welfare and Training, Instagram at npo-caawt, or email us at caawtcontact at gmail.com. Thank you so much today. We are your host. I am Masa. And I am Sean. Have a wonderful day with your amazing animal companions.